Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Haters TV podcast with myself, Charlie Willard, and my ever so dashing live stream and podcast companion, Nick Callow. Great to be with you in real life in the studio, yes. Charlie. Nice to see you again. Always good to see you. And it's, uh, we've got a very, very special episode today. But what I will say before we begin, thank you so much for the love and support on the first episode. We hope you do enjoy this series. We have very, very uh, special guests coming up and special news coming out very, very, very soon. But I will say we have a very special guest today that I'm going to introduce. Um, But before I do that, make sure, of course, you do like, subscribe and turn that notification bell on so you do not miss any videos in the future and, of course, any more podcast videos. Right. Get ready for this intro. I've been planning this for a while. <laughs> so we have a man that is uh, originally from Haters, BBC Radio, ITV, BT Sport, CBS, a man that bleeds football, a man whose voice lights up the beautiful game in all its glory. Some would call him a poet, but no, a man who is a poetic genius on the mic. We welcome football commentator Peter Drury. Too much, Charlie. Too much. Thank you very much. Are you proud of me? Was that a good one? Uh, very, very good. Thank you. Yes. Undeserved. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Excited. Thank you so much. For, yeah. That was good. I thought that was very good. good. No, I, I would have done it a bit more. I'd have gone a bit more and give it some full Peter Drury. <laughs> puts me down. But I just, I just think before we start, and it's great just to say thanks so much to Peter. We, Peter and I, have known each other for thirty odd years. Started on the same uh, great with this man, Ray Tater, who gives Haters TV it, its name. But if you're tuning in to see an exclusive interview about Pete's exciting new work life and Sky and all that stuff, that's not what we're here for. Peter very, very kindly agreed to come in and chat to us on the Haters TV podcast about his career, about how to be a commentator, how to be a journalist, the do's and don'ts. Maybe you can one day join him in the commentary box if you listen keenly to what Peter has to say. But this is not about Sky. This is not about that aspect of Peter's life. That's for another time. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about your life as a journalist, your career, and some tips and do's and don'ts, and maybe some slightly amusing stories about <laughs> playing football in the office at Haters. Back cricket, in the day. Back in the, back in the day. <laughs> so let's start by going right back, Peter, because I was reading an interview with you recently, and I didn't know this, because a lot of us, like me, I wanted to be a commentator. It said, your first commentary was commentating on your mother doing the ironing. Yeah, well... Was she a good ironer? <laughs> she was outstanding. <laughs> Better than me. I, I do the ironing these days, but I'm not... Well, it's all right, nice crease, it? yeah. It's all right, I yeah. I don't see any creases. Um, but, yeah, like, I suppose, kids still, and always have, since, since television and radio began, I pretended to be a commentator. Some would say I still do <laughs> pretend to be a commentator. And, and anything I saw, um, I kind of described... I had a view out of my bedroom window of the park opposite our house. And my dad used to get up in the morning and he used to have to walk through the park to go and buy his newspaper, um, turn around, come back down the hill towards our house. And when he was coming back down the hill towards our house, I could see him 200 yards away. And it was like Cohen Avet finishing the <laughs> 1500 metres at the Olympics and seeing how quickly he'd yeah. reached it. I used to time it so I could say, and Drury finishes in three <laughs> minutes, 25. So anyway, you know, there you go. It's been yeah. a bit of a, an obsession, addiction. And so what were you watching or listening to? Because I used to listen to loads of football and sport, cricket and tennis yeah. on, on the radio before. Well, it was all, as mm. people of our age will say, that televised football didn't happen except the cup final mm. in England, Scotland, basically, wasn't it, back <laughs> in the day? And um, so, yeah, I loved the radio. And, and Test Match Special, of course, because as you know, Nick, I'm, I'm a big cricket fan. But uh, in terms of football, it was Peter Jones and Brian Butler. They were the voices on the BBC. They were beautiful users of the language. They both had a wonderful voice. And 
they did what especially a radio commentator is supposed to do and made you feel as though you were there. Mm. And, th- and that inspired your style of, of commentary today, perhaps? I, I, I wouldn't categorise myself with them because, to me, you know, they're untouchables. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but they enthused me about um, broadcasting as well as sport. Is it, uh, Charlie, it must, I mean, this probably sounds really strange to you, but as a child, I was given a, a, rep- a record, a vinyl LP of the 1971 FA Cup final commentary which was Peter Jones and Brian Butler, I think, when Arsenal wow. beat Liverpool to do the double. So I was very young then, but I was giving it a bit after. But yeah, Charlie, you weren't... Uh, no, was not well, at that match, were you? No, I, Nor was I. Was. I wasn't either, but... Um, <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's how, you know, you know, people really tuned in to listen to these. It's the only way to get... get you know, get Saturday the afternoon, game. Nick. Saturday afternoon, because I wasn't in a family that went to football. Mm. You know, I didn't start going to professional football matches till I was old enough to go myself. Um... So Saturday afternoon, genuinely, I used to lock my bedroom door <laughs> so that nobody would disturb me. This is getting interesting now. <laughs> listening, to, um, listening to the football on the radio. Mm. That's the, it, it was hallowed time. Mm. Uh, and I didn't come out until sports report was over at six o'clock. Wow. I, I find that so interesting. Yeah. And by the way, I'm going to be in awe, really, this whole podcast, because a lot of the, uh, your early career is a lot of what people maybe aspire to be like. But where did your passion for football come about? Is it from maybe the listen to the vinyls and locking your bedroom door? Because yeah. your passion for commentary, we'll talk about uh, in, in a moment, but football in general, where did that passion come alive? It was from there. It was from there. And like every um, little boy and girl of my generation... I lived as a six, seven, eight-year-old for the moment when I was nine and uh, mum and dad would let me stay up for match of the day, you know, and that's what it was. And as I've just said, actually, we lived opposite a park and we, I used to stand on the radiator in my bedroom because I could look over the road and watch the, you know, the local teams playing mm. uh, and, and just absorb all of that. And, and listen, like most commentators, I was an anorak. You know, I used to cut out the uh, match reports from the newspaper and put them in a scrapbook and all of that sort of thing. Um, and, and in no sense, obviously, then, was it some sort of um, clinically hatched plan to get into the business. Mm. It's just what a little boy did. Um, and, you know, I played Sabutio on the bedroom floor. Do you know what Sabutio is? I do is? know. I, I do know. Right. My mum my mom and dad, shout out to my mum and dad, by the way, um, they did buy me. Yes, Sabutio, so yeah. Exactly what that is. So I spent hours and hours playing Sabutio with my brothers were older than me, so they used to lie in, but they got up and we played against each other. But for hours when I was smaller and they were teenagers lying about in bed, I used to play World Cups by myself. Um, and commentating. Commentating on yeah. them, yeah, yeah. So my, my dad was a journalist and I was always fascinated by newspapers and you know, the, the newspaper journalism industry. That was always sort of an ambition of mine, plus wanting to be a commentator, wanting to be a Peter Drury, really. Yeah. And I thought, how can I get... And my dad was saying, well, you need to do a degree in this, something, the other, and maybe to write to local papers. And someone once said to me, well, no, what you want to do is write to Reg Hater, get a job at Haters. That's where you will really learn how to be a journalist. So how did it start for you? Well... I mean, I got ridiculously lucky. I've been ridiculously lucky. And, and in the end, you know, everybody needs a break. I, when I left university, I went to university in Hull. And uh, I became a trainee accountant, uh, which I survived for a month. And I, I, and I hated it. I did it. I hated it. Um, uh, you know, shout out to accountants because they do a much more important piece of work than I do. Uh, but I couldn't hack it. And so I uh, resigned after a month. 
And I started going through that process of doing exactly what you're saying, writing letters, applying for jobs that I had no chance of getting, Mm -hmm. had no qualification at all. The only experience I had of any sort was my last summer as a student or the summer I left university. I did a little bit of work for the, um, the thing that was set up then around county cricket called Cricket Call, where you could ring an 0898 number and pay 45p a minute to listen to, in my case, Kent County yeah. Cricket. And I did a few days on that, which I absolutely loved. I'd hate to hear it back because I suspect it was horrendous. And, um, but really, I had nothing behind me. And I answered amongst many, many others. And, and in those days, pre-email and everything, I literally, by the side of my bed, had a pile of rejection letters that high. Well, you got responses I, then. I got resp- <laughs> yeah, people bothered to reply, which was nice. Um, but I applied to one in the UK Press Gazette saying, football writers required, no experience. <laughs> and that, w- that was me. <laughs> he didn't and, like people and, to experience Well, he? no, but I, I went in and met him, the great man. Uh, and months later, once I was on the book, so I went in like we all used to, creep into his office to see what he was saying about you. And I saw his notes on me and all it said was, Drury, good handshake. <laughs> <laughs> and that got me the job. Yeah. Because you were, a great, you were a great written journalist. I mean, was I there at that time? What year was that? What that have been? That would have been uh, the autumn 19- of 1988. And I'll tell you what he did. What, and Reg used to do this to everyone who was new. He told me to, when I first shook his hand, he said, go away. And on Saturday, go and watch your local team. And I live down in Kent. My local team was Sittingbourne. And he said, go and watch Sittingbourne play and um, write me one report for The Sun and one report for The Sunday Times. So, you know, stylistic Mm. contrasts. Uh, see, See if you can do it. So I was all ready to do that. That was on a Wednesday. On the Friday morning, the phone rang. It was him saying, we're short for Saturday. Uh, and we need someone to cover Wimbledon against Norwich for the Belfast Telegraph. And believe it or not, um, Norwich then, and it was only September, mm. but Norwich were top of the league. Oh, that season, so, yeah, yeah. So the first game I ever covered professionally involved top of the league. <laughs> I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And I suppose it must have gone. I, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. But I think, so, I think somehow my, you sort of blag your way through. Yeah. And, but is it also a way, I, I sort of, from what I've experienced in such a sort of a, a short um, space of time, is almost sometimes, yeah, there is that element of luck, but is it creating your own luck, having that sort well, of idea of being passionate about what you sort of area you want to Charlie, I, the only thing I would say, uh, because uh, I have been so lucky, um, is that I think making your luck's a bit of kind of fallacy, really. But when the moment comes, you've got to pounce on it. Mm. So, although I didn't have a clue what I was doing around Wimbledon against Norwich at Powell Lane that day, uh, I suppose, if I'm to give myself any credit, I sort of found a way. Yeah. Uh, I worked it out. I watched others. I, I suppose I probably, you know, knelt at the knees of nulled old journalists and said, help, what do, what do I do here? And somebody who I've probably long since forgotten did help me out and said, this is how you go about it. Uh, and And if I've learned anything beyond all that down the years is that boy you need your friends you need friends in this business uh, and I guess I had friends then that I didn't even know I had if mm. you know what I mean and but you were doing it since from the age of six or seven <laughs> well, yeah, 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 exactly. so you'd be quite experienced yeah. by then yeah. start from <laughs> yes. young yeah. but it is completely different isn't yeah. it actually doing it to, to the certain style and deadline and uh, line yeah. and length so on I think I started just a little bit after you then because I can remember that late 80s uh uh, period and there was you and there's a guy called Alistair Yeomans who was also had a lovely voice very good radio commentator still going AY 
Um, but you, and I was quite keen. But you two really, if any radio work or any broadcast work came in, they were just like, get out of the way. I'm doing that because you were very driven to be a, yeah. a commentator, as I remember. I, I did enjoy the broadcast work because I suppose it goes back to what we were saying. I, you know, I loved the radio from growing up, and radio really has gotten sort of beyond that now. But ra- radio was always my dream. I didn't dream of television particularly because my heroes were on the radio. Uh, so yeah, I I did I did want to gobble it up, and so did Ay, who remains a really good friend of mine and yours, yeah. I know, uh, and has has had a, a super career himself. So yeah, I, and and that's what haters did for us all. It gave us a taste of everything, it gave us a taste of writing, and it did give us a taste of broadcasting. And actually, I remember Reg, who was very much a writer. Mm. Actually, were you a good writer too? I was. A, they were better than me. There were plenty, but but I was all right. I, I was getting away with it, and I was starting to get what we in the business called bylines and mm. that sort of thing. And that's a kind of nice step forward. Um, and that's when my chance came in BBC Local Radio in Leeds. Uh, and when I got that job, I remember going in and telling Reg trepidatiously, thinking, "Oh my goodness." And he was pleased for me, but he, he very much said, are you sure? Are you sure? Because, um, you know, you're, you're doing all right in the writing. Mm. And once you go down that road, you might never come yeah. back. You never get back from Leeds. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, and mercifully, I mean, don't get me wrong, he was lovely and he gave mm. me his blessing. But they were, he gave me a sort of cautious blessing. And um, thank goodness he did. Yeah. Something yeah. else I, can, I think I can remember that. Day. I remember you coming out of this, his office, this sort of glass uh, walled uh, office which you couldn't quite see through and you were sort of quite misty eyed yeah he, well, he, he, I remember you said something like God, do you think it's the first time he's ever praised me he says I'm actually Peter you're really quite good you do realise <laughs> that don't you <laughs> yeah well misty eyed also because listen did we not have some fun oh yeah was it not a lovely it was quite a hard school in a way but it was a lovely school to be a part of we were children kind of living our best dream which is good as it could here we were being paid to be young sports journalists in the Mm. prime of our lives you know we went out we had a few beers and we we would we did our job properly because if we didn't he was right on us and um i didn't want to leave but i can tell you charlie even back back those days how were you in your late teens early 20s you know, again, we had a we had a gig once doing West Ham, which you had a bit of a soft spot for the Hammers, yes. then, didn't you? Against Hull, yes. there was an order from Tiger Talk, which was the I think it was the Hull City Radio. Sounds like the Hull yeah. City, and Radio. it was quite a sort of mediocre, modest midweek game. But I remember and this is one of the reasons put me off being a commentator because Pete was so exceptionally brilliant, better than anyone else. He was giving it full whack for Hull City. The Tigers are roaring. <laughs> West Ham are snoring. I can't believe what I see before me. I don't even quote yeah, that, yeah. by the way. That's brilliant. <laughs> Funnily enough. It was at Chelsea that. Oh, was it? Was it? Okay. No, no, no. Never no, let the facts get no, in the way. No, no, but the, the, the point is true. And I've, I've had to survive banter around Tiger Talk ever since. <laughs> and funnily enough, also, of course, I had a soft spot for Hull because mm. I'd been to university there. And uh, so I, odd, in an in a office full of people who thought, who's Hull City? <laughs> yeah. I actually did know a little bit me. about Hull City. <laughs> and uh, so that was fun. But yeah, yeah, Tiger Talk was a big moment yeah. in my life. I think yeah. the, main, the reason I made that point was you treated every game like a World Cup final. Yeah. You, know, yes. you gave it your full attention, detail and passion. Yes. And you took I that think, into I radio and that so. got it. That's what, but I also yeah. think that's because of the love you have for the game as well. I think it doesn't matter what game you're attending. You always... From what I've gathered from yeah. the short moment we've, Charlie, we've I think, met, is I think the important you're thing, to do every game. Well, that's honestly... The, the trouble is, if you say this too often, people start to think you're, it's, a, it's an affectation. 
And I, 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 what I can say, honestly, is that it's not. It is authentic. And I think any of us who get paid to pursue something we love need to be grateful for it. Mm. And if I, if I hear myself being less than enthusiastic about a day's work, if I wake up in the morning and think, oh, it's only them against them, it's 14th against 12th, you know, whatever. I mean, all of us, I would say, have to say, hang on, 30,000 people are paying 40 quid to watch this. Mm. Maybe more. <laughs> yeah, exactly, more, exactly. Yeah. And um, I'm going to cover it. This is, this is a remarkable privilege. Mm. And if I might think to, you know, part of the process of preparing for a game as a journalist, certainly as a commentator, is to think, I always take 20 minutes to take a step back and think, right, essentially, what is this all about? Basically, in journalistic terms, what's the story? Mm. Is it about them going up, them staying down? Them? And when you have 12th against 11th, sometimes you're thinking, what is the story? You know, where am I going with this? And the best way of getting to the answer sometimes is to think, right, if I was a fan of Club A, what would I be thinking as I'm buying my burger and buying my program? I'm thinking, what am I wanting out of this game? And then do the same with Club B. What am I wanting out of this game? Love to beat them. Don't much like him. Do, you know, all of that stuff. And thinking, right, what is this about for the people who are going to consume it? And don't dare to think this is a nothing game because it's not. It's not. And, and also, by the way, um, it's always exciting because... Um, either it's a great game and someone scores five and someone scores six or whatever but if it's nil-nil with five minutes to go I know as a, somebody who's supported football and who gets that feeling in the pit of his stomach and is terrified five minutes to go at nil-nil Charlie is, <laughs> is thrillingly terrifying one team wants you know, to score the other team yeah, wants to score they might score we might score mm. and you know, do we settle for a draw? Would you, should we just kick it out and waste time? Or should we go for it? Should, you know, all of that. And my whole weekend um, dynamic is based on what happens in the next five minutes. Now, it might have been an awful game, but don't tell me it's boring. Because for the people who've invested in it, it's not. Wow. Yeah. yeah. yeah do you keep true, a record yeah. of how many games you've been to? you you that sort of anoraki still. Uh, it must be thousands. It must be thousands, but no. Yeah. Funnily no. enough, I've just had some work done in the house and I found an old... A football yearbook not Rothman's actually another one from News of the World no it's no. not that one it's one that didn't last that right. didn't, didn't sort of pass the test <laughs> of time. Was no it wasn't even these that. names are but, all going over my head <laughs> by the way books but, remember that? <laughs> but it was from the mid 80s uh, early 80s when I started going to football matches as a student right. and I did write down every one I did mm. probably for the first sort of 100 matches I ever went to up to and including the very beginning of my haters existence but I didn't keep it up sadly I really oh. wish I had so you made it back from Leeds anyway. The BBC thought we need to get this guy down to London. Well, that was, that was another bit of luck, Nick. Mm. First of all, I was lucky to be at Leeds when Leeds became champions, oh, uh, yes. which was the last, gay, well, last pre-Premier League season and still the last English manager to win it, Howard Wilkinson, Wilkinson who, I, you know, who knocked me into shape you know, as a very mm. young, wet-behind-the-ears mm. reporter. Uh, and he, he was very good for me, sometimes very hard on me, but very good to me. Um, and I got lucky, A, because that gave me within the BBC a little bit of a profile. If I interviewed Howard at the weekend, you know, people would want it for the network and that sort of thing. Uh, and um, B, I got lucky because that was the point in history when broadcast exploded. And in the BBC, that meant the advent of what we now call Five Live, uh, which made the whole thing mushroom. And of course... Um, 
satellite television was just starting. Mm. And so the, suddenly there was a great welter of opportunity and people left radio to go to satellite television. And so there were spaces in what was an already expanding BBC radio department. And um, that all happened at the right time for me, mm. mercifully. But you had the skills to, to cope with it. And you were, I mean, we're, we're friends, I can say it without making you blush. You, were, you are and were very, very good. No wonder well, you succeeded, you know. I, I, I hope so. But I, I was also in the uh, company of people who were very, very mm, good. Okay, yeah. And who and were your contemporaries around that time? Well, I, I mean, I joined BBC Local Radio at the same time as Simon Brotherton. So, sorry, BBC Network Radio. Simon Brotherton had come out of local radio. Um, Marcus Buckland, who you've seen oh, on very, tennis yeah, and yeah. football and so on, he was in the same sort of group as me. Um, a year ahead of me and still absolutely my kind of best mate Miles Harrison who's been Sky's rugby commentator for many many years and I live a mile from him and we you know we're mutual godparents and all that sort of thing John Champion was a couple of years ahead of me um, and he remains a very good friend and actually you know I I sat in the BBC radio sports room with Claire Balding um, who's got her huge moment coming up in a Mm. day or two when she hosts Wimbledon from the very front for for the first time and uh, you know, we were we were a very happy little club together, and I'm I'm worried because um, I'll have missed someone out. You yeah. know, I I know I was lucky to be in a very very good class, but we also cared passionately about the people who we considered up in the stars beyond us. Then the sort of Tony Adamsons mm. of this world, and Mike Ingham and Alan Green, and all those people who were ahead of us in the pecking order, and and there was a real sense of in those days of academy there and and treading in famous footsteps and so I think you probably did learn you know to use that old-fashioned word standards mm. and, it, and it mattered that you did it well and, ha- and having a, a group like that around you of course maybe you didn't know back then all of you were going to sort of become these fantastic commentators and reporters but having that such good group round, you mentioned friends at the start of this podcast yeah. as well. Yeah. Did you see them as also good friends and people that as well, you, maybe you, you took different inspirations from each other at times? Yeah, well, it, it's funny, Charlie. You, perhaps, you know, where you're at, you'll see this. It's funny because in that sort of circumstance, right back to haters uh, and into local radio and into network radio, you look around you and you see friends. And just like, I suppose, players in the England squad, you, they're beautifully bonded but they must see friends and they must see rivals you mm. know either I play or you play yeah. you know and, and yet we're training together we're going out together um, and, and it would be disingenuous of me to say that or to deny that once in a while you know one of them got a break one of them got to cover a game that I wanted to cover and I think oh it's him not me uh, <laughs> because and presumably maybe they're nicer people than me but I'm guessing they perhaps <laughs> thought the same things back but we were friends we were and, we, and by the way we take such pleasure in each other now and it's great and it goes back to as yeah. well what you said about taking that big break they had yeah. the big break sort of come up and they yeah. had to snatch it and yes. maybe it's fair game but you look back and you go do you know what? maybe without them moments we wouldn't be where we are where well we are. exactly you, that's, yeah. that's exactly it and you know you need the story to fall on your watch or you know. yeah. I think you're beginning to understand that Charlie that sometimes you, you, you want to be covering the cup final or the big top of the league games and sometimes you know it's just important to be at the lower games or the lower divisions and uh, you just have to sort of and even when you're at the top as, as Peter's, you sometimes have to cover 11th v 12th. I mean, 
probably never do a non-Premier League game these days, do you? Well, it depends who I'm working for and who's got the rights to what, Nick, to be yeah, honest. Okay. Uh, but, yeah. but my favourite games, if, you're, if I'm perfectly honest, talking sort of generically, I love an early rounds game in the FA Cup. Oh, do you, yeah. I love it when there's a story to tell about the non-league team. Because, you know, when you're doing Man United-Liverpool, actually, there's not much you can tell anyone. Mm. Everybody knows. What are you telling them? True. About, you know, but if you're doing Hampton and Richmond or Blythe Spartans... There's a story to tell. <laughs> you know, you can go and meet the people mm. and they're real people who run the fish and chip shop from, you know, yeah. and you, you've got something, you've got something to really get your teeth into. And all of us as, as journalists of one type or another, all we want is the narrative. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, know, so, I'm yeah. so glad you said that yeah. because what I want to sort of tie into in the next segment is talking about maybe the, the, the smaller games as such. This was a huge game, what I'm about to mention, by the way. It was the South Africa, the opening game, of the South African World Cup. And there was a very famous bit of commentary um, where the South African forward had scored and it was almost like a goal for Africa and it was, it was so symbolic as well for the, for the game. Do you, you really thrive off their moments, don't you? Like you? I really liked what you said there where sometimes covering those bigger games with the bigger teams as such, no disrespect to South African football team, by the way. <laughs> but the World Cup, wasn't it? <laughs> there is, no, but there is always a story within a story. There is. And that one, Charlie, was a pretty easily identifiable one. The, of, of all the things I've been lucky enough to cover, that remains the one, the, the number one in, in my head. Nothing to do with what I said, by the way, but just a, around the occasion, uh, because it was hugely symbolic. And it, was, and it did transcend football. And I know this is all cliche, cliche, but honestly, walking up to that stadium in Johannesburg that day to see black and white South Africans arm in arm, smiling, a country seemingly united and that's not to be flip about the massive problems it has up to that point and it still has um, but seemingly in that moment conjuring up a sentiment which if you could just bottle it and inject it would make the world a better place I felt properly emotional about it and uh, I thought wow if only it could always be like this and wow this is sport doing something that no politician will ever achieve uh, it was a beautiful thing. And then this young kid called Shabalala, a boy out of Soweto, scored that goal. It's what it's doing it now. It mm. ma- it's the goal that makes me well up and brings up the hairs on the back of my neck. Because, bless him also, it wasn't, didn't go in off the back of his knee. He walloped it. Fantastic it goal. And right terrific the top goal. <laughs> and, it was a, and it was just a beautiful moment. Um, and, you know, that's it. And it would have been a beautiful moment whoever happened to hold the microphone. I just happened to be lucky enough to be sat in that stadium. And it was, it was um, it's really musical special. musical sort of name, isn't it? Oh, it rolls off the tongue very yeah, nicely, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of those games, um, I think it's really interesting because, by the way, we, if we would have sort of asked you guys in the comments what, you, what, what you'd like to have, uh, have asked Peter today, one of my one, of course, would be, what would be your most iconic moment? But I guess that one's up there as well. But you've covered some amazing games, amazing World Cup games as well. Yeah. And recently, the World Cup final in Qatar. How was that for you? Because one, it was an incredible game, but it was also a, a very um, special game uh, for the man that's on this magazine right here, Lionel yeah. Messi. Yeah, it's. I mean, it was ridiculous, wasn't it? Mm. it I mean, it was ridiculous. <laughs> if, if you were a journalist, and of course there were thousands there, and you were told to provide a thousand-word match report for that final. I mean, where the hell would you start? Honestly, uh, Kylian Mbappe scored a hat trick, 
Messi didn't. Messi won the World Cup. You had the two iconic names. I suppose if we'd had Messi or Ronaldo, you might have said it was. That was it, it could have been more in that regard. But forget that. We, here we had Messi and Mbappe, France-Argentina, the end of a hugely contentious World Cup, which actually in purely football terms had been a belting World Cup. Mm. It was a really, really good competition. And then we had this beyond all reasonableness, stupid narrative play out. You know, it, it was just crazy stuff um, that you could not possibly have premeditated. I mean, it was just just silly. Um, and he ends up winning it uh, and lifting the World Cup. And I, I don't want to sound pompous, but from a broadcaster's point of view, you often hear people say Messi defies description. And I would argue with that because actually the great thing about Messi is that he invites description. You know, he, he is a beautiful beautiful athlete and you know um if you if you stop to think about ways you could describe him then you've got a wonderful blank canvas that he offers and uh, he certainly offered it then um, get, how lucky to be there yeah, but do you get time to stop to think of ways to describe him? are you at home or in the hotel room before writing out loads of different messy lines and no 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 well my rule is this nick my mm. rule is quite straightforward um nothing between the first whistle and the last whistle can possibly be premeditated you're asking for trouble if you start the night before preconceiving lines about what might happen mm. because what might happen or what does happen will be to some degree a little bit different to how you preconceive it so if you start if you start thinking what will i say when messi scores the winner <laughs> then you're, you're heading for trouble. Yeah. And, and let me give you uh, the best example as to why that is the case. It, it, the Aguero goal, okay, the famous Aguero goal, 2012. Not a, I was lucky enough to work on that for the global feed for the Premier League. There's not a commentator, I imagine, who didn't go to that game that day thinking, I better be ready for the moment the final whistle goes and Manchester City are champions. Mm. They only had to beat QPR. Of course they were going to be champions. Of course we all had a line ready for Manchester City. We had a line ready for company to lift the trophy. Mm. Um, was it company then? I can't remember. Can't. I, yeah, I should, yeah, know, yeah, 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 should yeah. know that. You trophy. were there. Yes. <laughs> I think I was but on anyway, an aeroplane. Yeah. But anyway, well, of, course, of course we did, yeah. <laughs> but if you had had a line for Manchester City's winning goal, mm. it would have been nonsense, wouldn't it? Mm. It would have been nonsense because what played out was beyond anything you could possibly have premeditated. And that is the ultimate warning. So, first whistle to last, just, I'm afraid, you react. Yeah. That's not to say that, say in the case of Messi, you wouldn't think of... You, you know, Messi is so often described that I think it's a reasonable part of preparation to think, you know, what's another adjective for Messi? Mm. But um, before the game, those moments when they're milling around in the tunnel, walking out, crossing the white line, that's a set piece. Not to prepare for that is like saying to David Beckham, don't practice free kicks. Yeah. You know, of course, you know what's going to happen. You know where the goal is. You know where the wall is. And Messi walking up to lift the World Cup, come on. You know, you know either he's going to walk up for it or the captain of France is going to walk up for it. I'd be a liar if I said to look you in the eye now and said... I didn't bother. I just waited to see. I, I think that would be um, a failure of duty not yeah, to prepare think, for that. I think we, um, you know, when we we're going to watch World, excuse me, we're going to watch the World Cup final. Who's ever playing? Whoever's commentating it, yeah. whatever channel it's on, we're going to watch the World Cup final. 
but the, we do have favourite commentators and favourite sort of sounds and voices. Yeah, of I remember John Motson saying to me, "You're lucky if people like your voice." That's just yeah, sort of yeah. one of the things uh, how how it works. But um, sometimes, as sports fans, we just remember the moments of commentary. I remember when Arsenal won the league in '89 at Anfield. Brian Moore, it's up for grabs now. Thomas running through the middle. You know, that's you, know, that's, you can get cups with it all written on. And, um, people do. I mean, I don't. Know if you, I know you're not a social media fan, but people do play clips. Of your commentaries of goals and pre-match things, and do, do, is that in your life? Do you, are you aware of all this? Uh, it's hard not to be aware of it, but, uh, but because people tell me, but you're not on like, Twitter. Or I'm anything. not on Twitter, TikTok, or any of those things. Well, you um, are actually, but, but if you want to say <laughs> him personally, no. <laughs> um, and and I can honestly say, uh, I never ever look them up. Okay. Never ever, um, because. Um, you know the world out there is pretty wild, and if things are nice, that's lovely. They might not always be nice, and I, I, I just think that I know my mindset. I haven't got a thick skin. I haven't. I have not. No. no. So, you know, I don't want to be hurt, and I'm, I'm relatively easily hurt, and I also know that whether the stuff is positive or negative, it will impact on my head. And so if I do do, you know, a goal quite well one week and people are saying that was lovely, I don't want to be tempted into thinking I have to do the same next mm. week because next week's goal might not be the same. And so it's best. for I, I watch back very often the games I've commentated on in the cold light of day because that's the way to self-improve. Mm. Uh, and I listen to myself and said, you've used the same word three times there. You're boring. I don't like you. Talk too much. Shut up. Um, or sometimes I'm not denying so yeah that was alright yeah good but so so I do watch back my stuff but no I don't I don't um, flattered though I am if it's nice yeah I don't look back at any of that stuff because uh, because it's just not good for me so the, I'm going to ask almost a two part question the first part is um, because you're not on social media and you said you don't have a have a thick skin um, does that almost create a bigger expectation for you if you was on social media and as well does it does it make you more of a harsher critic on yourself because as you said there you're watching it going yeah. I should do that better I should do that better so instead of not being social media relying on other people telling you what sounds better and what doesn't you'd rather yourself sit there and yeah, go well I'd rather well. myself or my peers or my boss or my family um which is not to be disrespectful. Honestly, I'm not. It would be stupid of me to sit here and say social media, blah. You know, I'm in a minority. You know, it's there. It's happening. I understand that. I'm not saying I'm right and they're all wrong. I'm absolutely not saying that. Um, all I'm doing is protecting what I know about myself. Um, and, and I know it's safer for me uh, as the person I happen to be. And I'm a little bit of a softy um, just to steer well clear. And my second part is you mentioned there as well how um, you'll sometimes look at your commentary and go, "Oh, that was good. Oh, that was decent." I want. Can you give me a, a moment or pick out a piece of commentary out of the thousands of games that you've done where you've looked? I'm going to say no, Charlie, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. <laughs> I could have told you so. <laughs> because uh, I, I honestly believe that there's not much more arrogant than quoting yourself back. So I would I would hate to fall into That's that. That's fair enough. Thank you. Okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to take the liberty of um, exposing you to some of the 
some of the people do like you and I've got a message from you and I'm going to sh- play you something to watch which you'll, you'll be able to see in, yes. the, in the edit too I just need to prepare for this folks okay so I think if I start doing this you might have a guess who this message is from and I don't know what to use as my microphone either the uh, spanner or the I'm going to go with the paintbrush Arrow. actually <laughs> but it's not actually Arrow, but, uh, this, is, this is the message um, which I've got on the screen here hello Peter over and over again, you have made the art of football commentary lovable for us, the fans, and here in Africa. It is you above the rest. Everyone is highly anticipating another exhilarating season with you. And it's with great pleasure, I say, recreating your voice to the African people and the rest of the world gives me so much joy. Hopefully someday we will have you here in Africa and I, along with Arab, will, Arab will cherish every moment of it. And this is Young Noble Commentary from Nigeria. Who's, and, and if you don't know Young Noble Commentary, you should do. And he sent me a clip. This is his favourite one. He's, he's the great lip sync. He's a funny guy. Let's have a look at this, Pete. Yeah. You, you may or may not have seen this, but... Well. I have been sent one or two of these. <laughs> the World Cup has an African nation overcome the might of Brazil. It is into that challenge that Cameroon now march... Lions truly requiring of themselves to be indomitable. <laughs> already of barely fathomable <laughs> twists, scarcely believable outcomes. Is it truly conceivable that Cameroon can craft yet one more fairy tale narrative? Or is the stark brilliance of Brazil one reality too far? <laughs> McKelly, a Buraka! journey home do so with a memory to cherish for life 
header from Vincent Aboubakar right at the end of it all, snatching for them a victory that they and their nation will never, ever forget. It's funny, isn't it? But They're it's also great. very skillful. I They're think, great. The it, they yeah. are great. So that's yeah. the side of social media you want to be seeing. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I have been sent that one, actually. I have, yeah. I, I, I try not to, but people do send them, mm. especially, you know, friends when they're nice. Yeah. That's not a problem. Yeah. And actually, Alan Smith sent me that one. Well, <laughs> Alan Smith, mutual friend of ours. How, yeah. how important is that role of the... Um, sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. Oh, no what did no. Alan Smith say? Sorry, go on. No, no, Alan sent that for fun. And, oh, he sent it to and, you. And, yeah, <laughs> and I had, I had, I had um, a lovely month with Alan at the World Cup, who's a belting guy as isn't you know, he yeah, yeah and um yeah they're of course important i mean they're, they're, if, if you want to talk about co-commentary i i, mm. I think the, the the point is this that the, the the role of the commentator and co-commentator ideally should be properly delineated so it's my job to say who's got the ball to know a bit about them to know the backstory to as it were to tell the story um and, and I, I, this is only my opinion, only my others would disagree, but in my opinion, it's not the job of the commentator to have an opinion. So obviously commentary kind of by its very nature is is a, often a series of micro opinions, as in great ball, mm. well, that's an opinion in a sense, but it's not my job to say the right fullback's, you know, 10 yards too deep or, you know, the centre forward's taking up the wrong positions or all that, that because that for me is impudent if you're sitting next to a guy who played centre forward for England <laughs> so it's his job to have the opinion because he's entitled to have that opinion he's qualified to have that opinion uh, and to to have the analytical brain whether as a former player or coach or you know somebody who has been at the very top of the game you and I have been around it tangentially for as long as we can remember but we can never as much as we think we know about stuff, we can never know quite how it feels. And they can. And I know I'm treading an awkward line here because I've got lots of journalistic friends, as you have, whose job it is sometimes to have an opinion. Yes. And, and I respect that. But I think it's different because, on the whole, they give their opinion journalistically as individuals within a newspaper, for instance. But if I'm sitting right next to someone who is patently obviously better equipped to feel the moment in a professional sense then I think I should defer yeah. to that so and that also makes the roles much more straightforward to to sort out each from the other I'm very much who and where and when and he or she is how and why I did actually play in a press match once when Alan joined the Telegraph and he started out reporting and he did play the ball through to me to, to, to score a goal, I thought, and I thought, and I completely messed it up because I thought, Alan Smith has just passed the ball to me to score a goal. <laughs> uh, uh, and the next thing I knew, someone had tackled me and I'd lost the ball. So you're right, I was totally unqualified to be on the pitch, let alone talk about it at the same level as him. I played in a press match once on a European trip when I was working for BBC Radio on a European trip with Aston Villa away to Helsingborg in Sweden. It was live on BBC television. Trevor Brooking was there. He played for us. And Trevor Brooking, having grown up with a little fondness for West Ham, Trevor Brooking was a massive hero of mine. Yeah, special player. So, and a beautiful, beautiful player. Um, and three or four minutes into the game, the Swedish team broke, 
I was keeping goal, Swedish team broke, centre forward, one on one, and I made, for me, a really good save. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, Trevor, who was basically running the game from the centre circle, Trevor turned around and said, great save, Pete. And I thought thought I'd died and gone to hell. (laughs) Corner comes over, keepers! Sorry, lads. Balls balls in the net. And Trevor said, Pete, if you're going to come for it... (laughs) <laughs> you can never win um, yeah. that was it I'm, I'm quite glad uh, as well you've, you spoke about sort of having a moment where you've sort of gone like oh wow, 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 that's like, oh my god um, talking about walking into a stadium um, we've mentioned you've been to thousands of games where's uh, where's a stadium that you've walked into and you've gone like maybe for the first time that you've gone wow what ones again I would say to you Charlie that I love going to any new stadium any new stadium I love that thing when you walk up through over the top and you see the grass and that continues to thrill me especially in our job where you're very often the first in or one of the first in and it's empty and you have it filling up and all that but of course there are the wow stadia uh, you know and, and my favourite is you, know, you don't need to be Einstein it is the Bernabeu I mean it's just that is wow and it, it goes up and up and up in layers like a, as many people have said like a wedding cake you know, it's row after row of icing. And you're in there and you just have an overwhelming sense of, oh, you know, really? It's just brilliant. I remember, I remember back in the day um, going there, probably one of the first times I went there doing a Champions League game for ITV. Would have been 98, 99, whatever. And Real Madrid were playing Dinamo Kiev. And I went to watch Dinamo Kiev train the night before to try and sort out their less well-known players. But one of their training balls came uh, off the field and landed at my feet, and I knocked it back to Shevchenko. And <laughs> wow! I, so I can always say Shevchenko. <laughs> so I can always say Shevchenko. I knocked it to Shevchenko in the burnabout. That's <laughs> Commentating on your own part. Yeah. Speaking of the burnabout, you've had some incredible moments and med- incredible games as well. One that sticks out to me, being an Arsenal fan, by the way, is the Thierry Henry goal, um, yeah. scoring at the burnabout. Signed boot, signed boot by the way yeah. we have in the background talk us about that moment because that was well, incredible right yeah no that was a that was a that was a obviously a big night for Arsenal and a, a you know a big night for me I hadn't at that stage done as many of that sort of caliber of games so it was lovely to get the story I, I have heard that one back and it slightly frustrates me because I think at the start of the move I'm talking about something else I don't think I did that goal as well as I should have done because I was caught in a previous sentence um, don't look it up, Nick. No, I'm not. No. <laughs> uh, and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but nevertheless, mercifully, by the time he was putting the ball in the net, I was, I was kind of hopefully up to speed. And, um, and it's just another reminder um, that, honestly, the moment happens, whoever's commentating on it. The moment belongs to the moment um, and not, not to the broadcaster. You know, that that, the extent to which you sometimes get attached to a goal is crazy. Mm. You had nothing to do with it. Um, And it's really important, I think, for commentators constantly to remind themselves, ourselves, of that. Because all we are is audio wallpaper. We're just blaring on there. And some people like the wallpaper and some people don't. Um, And the football match will play out the same regardless of who's happens to be talking about it and you, you've had sorry Nick you've had the privilege as well to to commentate some amazing names uh, again at the Bernabal as well but you, the likes of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo uh, as well as people before my time as well but is it is it sort of 
do you find it quite sad sometimes where you see these sort of players come to the end of their career? Yes. It must be a real privilege for you to oh. be able to commentate each game as it comes. It's almost you don't want it to end. Oh, definitely. Definitely. But what is so reassuring is that the next one's always coming, thankfully. Because you sort of think everyone's irreplaceable. Figo, Zidane. Oh. I used to love Kaka at the, sort of the turn of the century. You think, wow, what happens when they've gone? And then it's Ronaldo and Messi. And then it'll be Mbappe. And we've got some brilliant English players. I mean, you know, if we could all do our job like Bakayo Saka does his job, you know, with a smile and with flair and without inhibition. And that's what all these people have in common is the ability to shrug off inhibition and express themselves beautifully. Uh, And mercifully, people keep finding a way to do that. And it's, I think it's a really tough thing to do. Uh, and so I just, uh, j- just when you are about to sort of mourn the loss of one, there's another one there to pick you yeah, up again. That ability to perform to your be- to best without fear and fear of failure is just, well, I just, I envy it yeah. so much. I think one of the things, Pete, is as much as you sort of put all this passion and you love the game so much, you take it so seriously, you also have a sense of perspective and proportion. And it's not life and death to you, football, is it? It's your life, yeah. but it's... It's, it's really no, no, no. It really isn't. And I think, I think. Listen, I, again, I don't want to be disingenuous. The, the partisanship, the passion, the noise, the fury, all of that stuff uh, is what makes English football what English football is. And it would be a fool who wanted to be rid of it. But I sometimes think it's worth stepping back and <laughs> looking at something. Are you sure? <laughs> you know, it's just a bunch of people kicking the ball about. You know, and and. Um, I and and so that's kind of the contradiction because it really really does matter to people mm. and you'd be stupid to deny that it's partly um, if you like reducing the stakes for me you know thinking if, if I shout the wrong name today actually nobody dies mm. I'm probably embarrassed for a day or two and it's a bad day at work uh, but the football match goes on regardless um, and you know whatever the outcome of the football match is by next Thursday you know we'll be previewing next weekend and <laughs> it's true. And, and on we go and on we go and it's and football is just a wonderful wonderful soap opera it's meant to be an escape it's meant to be fun mm. it's meant to be fun so if it becomes so earnest that it's not fun anymore I think we've slightly you know, lost our Mikel, way Mikel Arteta was saying this all last season when asked yeah. in, that, in that title race and saying look yeah. Are you going to win? Are you going to do this? The pressure's on the pressure. I guess, but look, look, we're top of the league. Just enjoy it. It might not last. Enjoy it while enjoy the ride. Yeah. And I think fans have to remember that as well as us reporting it. That it's yes, take it seriously, but you know, have a sense of proportion. Can well. you imagine? You, can you imagine these guys? Can you imagine Saka coming back from that penalty miss for England oh. and then performing the way he did for Arsenal? Can you imagine Kane having come back from a penalty miss for England and scaring a thirty-goal season for Tottenham? It's absolutely phenomenal. It is phenomenal. It's yeah. remark. Can you imagine Zach Crawley cover driving the first ball of the Ashes for four, having had the last six months being told he shouldn't be being picked? I mean, that's extraordinary. Can you imagine Ben Stokes declaring when all of us <laughs> sad middle-aged folk are saying, "What? You didn't used to do this sort of stuff." <laughs> I mean, that's courage, mm. and that's just love of the sport. It's it's incredible. So we should relish those people. Uh, and yeah. as well if you could pick yourself up and put yourself in a game that you haven't covered what would it be do you think 
If you could, I, I, th- I find it really no. interesting because you've done a lot of amazing games and covered well, amazing listen, teams. Charlie, but. the very obvious answer, because it's unreachable, would be World Cup Final 66. When you, you know, who wouldn't want to have been there when uh, England won the World Cup? And there, the commentator came up with what must be the most famous unscripted line of all time. They think it's all over. Uh, no one will ever beat that one. No, it's yeah. interesting, though, isn't it? I think yeah. it's interesting because yeah. you've covered some amazing games, yeah. uh, and there's been some amazing moments. But sometimes you always think that oh, maybe oh, I could have done that game. I, yes. I just find it interesting. Oh, Sixty six World Cup is incredible. Listen, I think every journalist, every broadcaster, when they're sat at home watching on telly, and you know, it's a belter, thinks, "Oh, wish it would me." <laughs> of course <laughs> you do. Of course you do. Yeah. And, and in terms of your um, research and notes, because again, this is another, I keep saying interesting, but believe me, it really it is interesting, is how you prepare for games. You said there between minute one and, and the 90th minute, you don't pre-prepare anything, no outcomes, you let the, no. let yeah. the football do the, do the yeah. talking. Um, how do you prepare for each game? Do you have a certain uh, different notes on each player? And- yeah, I, I have something like five or six pages of A4 in a folder in front of me. And the first page uh, is in pencil because it's the teams, which obviously when the team news is announced, get rubbed out and changed and moved all about. And a nice big chunk on the referee. And page two is the home team, 25 names with all of their biographical detail and up-to-date stats and so on. And page three is the away team. And page four is the home team again with the coach and the staff and the upcoming fixtures and the, uh, the last two or three 11s and... Uh, the sequences and you know four without a home win seven without an away you know all of that sort of stuff and then the away team again and the next page is what I call etc which is <laughs> which is kind of uh, you know the um, meetings between them great meetings between them the narrative you know what as I said to you what's it all about um, and so that's it that's my basic five or six pages and does it take you a long while to prepare for each game yeah I, I mean on average I say that one football match is one eight hour day at the desk yeah on average and that varies because if you are doing Hampton and Richmond in the FA Cup then you're starting from scratch if you're doing Manchester and United against Liverpool mid-season clearly you're across the backstory. You know, and so that's not to say that the challenge then is to find something new to say, uh, because that's really tough when everybody knows everything about everybody. But um, when, when there's real research into, you know, the postman who plays at left back, then that takes a lot longer than eight hours. And and your voice as well, I think, um, to be a commentator, uh, Nick mentioned uh, a while ago that some people will like your voice and some people won't. You, you yeah. can't please everyone in life, but... <laughs> Uh, how do you do you work on your voice is it something you exercise or you train or you've done research growing up or no, anything like that no but I should I should especially the older I'm getting um, and it's something I'm thinking about I mean I can't you know it's too late now to change my voice but it might be sensible to do a little bit of um, voice PE just to, yeah. to, to keep it going uh, <laughs> <laughs> by the way this is if not me calling yeah. Peter Drury old by the way but it's interesting yeah, isn't it because no. it is something you do have to you do have yeah. to think about even being like myself being a bit younger it's still no, you something do. you have to train you do you do have to you're yeah. absolutely right and it's something I've kind of taken for granted 
and one day I'll get a kick up the backside for taking it for granted. So, thank you. No, yeah. my pleasure. G-Man here in the ID studio said he thought you were from Birmingham. Oh, <laughs> I thought, I'm really not. <laughs> um, and as well, what would you say is, there's lots of hard parts about every, every sort of industry, um, but let's say during a game, what do you find is the, hard, the, the biggest challenge about being a commentator, would you say? During a game, um, I think it is self-editing knowing when to talk and when to shut up and I put my hand up and say um, I don't always get it right and I don't think anyone does it is if anything a football match for a commentator is a feat of concentration you know because you are very often just relaying names name 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 so identification is absolutely critical particularly on the television um Radio is a is a very different craft, uh, and description is clearly important because it's an absolutely blank canvas. But on the radio, and I say this with no disrespect because I love radio commentary and it's done brilliantly by a lot of very good people, but sometimes on the radio, one thing you can get away with is a player on the far side in possession. You're thinking, not quite sure who that is. So just talk about the smell of the burgers, you know, until someone else has got the ball. And that's, that's fine. I would do that and have done that. On television, shouting the right name is, is important because people can see you've got it wrong. And you do get it wrong. You know, within a game, you know, um, two or three times to say a name and think, oh, it wasn't him actually. Um, and you sort of think, oh, you get that kind of electric shock. Uh, but um, so self-editing and concentration on identification, those are the kind of... Um, Key things. Yeah, I, I just I think Pete, yeah, thank you for coming in today mm. and spending so much time with us. When you're such a busy man at the moment, you're a man in the news a bit because of your successful commentary career. So thanks for coming to the mm. Haters TV podcast studio. I have found it fascinating. I've known you for thirty odd years. I've still found it fascinating. I would love to hear a clip of you commentating on the ironing. Um, <laughs> and, Petition and, to get and, that going. And, and whatever you commentate, as you know, I've always been a champion of your cause and Bless you, you're Nick. really good at your Thank job. You. And above all, just a really nice guy. Bless you. And I hope people you, have Nick. got Thank some nice tips and now they can be the next Peter Drury or almost as good as Peter Drury. By the way, God bless Reg Hater. God bless yeah. him. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, <laughs> listen, guys, we, we really hope. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sometimes a bit speechless. You, if, the, if you see a wider shot, you see me just in awe sometimes because I do find uh, people like Peter very, very interesting. I'm sure you guys have as well. Um, and as well, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you do drop a like. Important to subscribe so you do not miss another video across the season and as well on our podcast series. Um, and also comment down below uh, any more guests you'd like to get because the first two have, uh, have been a banger this one's been an absolute belter so again thank you so much for thank taking you, your time uh, to come into the studio today but from myself charlie willard and nick callow we'll see you for episode three